What's up? Welcome to the Confluence VC podcast. This podcast is meant to give you a personal glimpse into the next era of investors and operators. This week we had on Saqib Jamal of Crossbeam. Crossbeam is an early stage fund that invests in new internet economies, financial services, and novel asset classes. Saqib does a little bit of everything for Crossbeam and outside of work, he somehow finds time to operate the capsule, which shares South Asian news, professional development content, and entertainment in three-minute emails. In this talk, we discuss the shifting balance of power away from major platforms, the lack of capital powering the creator economy, and running side experiments to build empathy and optionality. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody, welcome to the Confluence VC podcast. We got a really dope guest today, Asakib Jamal from Crossbeam. One thing we've been trying to do is like, in addition to highlighting really strong up-and-comers in the VC space, is uh, highlight people up-and-coming and working on really interesting strategies because traditional funds get boring and traditional strategies get boring. So we find people who are doing things that could be the future or doing things that are incredibly relevant to the time. So we try to highlight them as quickly as possible. So with that, how about I give uh, give Saqib a little bit of time to walk us through his path today. And then when he's done with that, give us a little bit of insight into Crossbeam. I think you all will enjoy it. Yeah, thanks Tyler for for having me on here. I've, I've heard a couple of episodes here and it's it's been great. Really enjoyed it, super insightful. And as we were discussing earlier, I think for having the platform, I think it goes a long way for newcomers into the industry, such as myself. So my path here, I was born and raised in Bangladesh. That's where I'm from. My father was in the army and classic military brat style, moved every two years of my life, always in rural areas, never in the city. And yeah, so so since un- until grade four, that's been my life. Grade four, my life of this lucky break, almost a 180 degree turn. My dad got posted to Burma. So I spent four years in Yangon. And when you're a military diplomat, the government pays for education. So I got to go to the school run by the U.S. Embassy there and learned my English. And then after four years, came back to Bangladesh for two more years from grade eight to grade 10 and got lucky enough to get a scholarship to boarding school in Hong Kong. So spent two years in Hong Kong and then in another lucky break in life, had a Singaporean lady sponsor my education at Cornell and where I met my partner, Ali. After graduation, I did uh, investment banking at uh, JP Morgan, did did a year and a half-ish of, of coverage investment banking and thereafter jumped over to Crossbeam, which is, which is a $25 million vehicle for investing in platform economies and fintech strategies. Got you, brother. Yeah, we actually got a lot of overlap in thesis. I, I love the platform play. I love that you all are doing some uh, really interesting roll-up strategies. And I love the fintech thing. From my side, right, like I did reverse roll-up stuff when I was at WonderCo with Jeffrey Katzenberg and the Dropbox folks, Anthony Soleil. The Point72 team also did a lot of really cool reverse roll-up strategies on the AI side of things, in addition to focusing on uh, international fintech. I would love for you to tell us a bit about that and then also maybe some of some of your platform strategies as well. 
Yeah, yeah. The, I think Crossbeam, we platform platform economies have become like our bread and butter, and that's been our main strategy that that we look to look to find opportunities in. And then uh, on top of that, we also our, our partners are are very well versed in fintech and. They've operated, invested, lent debt capital to a number of fintech businesses. So that part of the that part of the equation is also falls well within our core competency. Before I think you, for before you dive in, actually, I was looking at your partners page a week ago, and right. you, you have some killers on there. You want to talk a, a bit about those before you dive in, or you want to go straight into the platform? Yeah, yeah. I think the cool part about Crossbeam is it's actually a JV of a, a of an organization, right? Most definitely, man. Yeah, I was. I think that was my third or fourth time hearing about what you all were doing, and I hadn't dove into the team section. I looked at. I was a little bit stunned. Yeah. Especially being a fintech person, just seeing some of the companies that you all have worked on—that's incredible. That again for interrupting the story. You want to go back into telling us a bit more about the firm and your focus areas and thesis? Yeah, yeah. I think I think the the best place to start would be platform economies. So what we mean by the platform economy strategy, put simply, is that you can build a large business on top of a very large business. So think about the third party sellers on Amazon. Think about the creators sitting on top of Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat. Think about people on some of the some of the people. Building on top of YouTube, gaming. We recently invested in, in, in a company called. There's all these, all these sort of platforms that we think are going to be the next generation of, of Rails and like where actual next generation companies are going to be built on. It's not just going to be like pure internet. They're actually going to live on top of these businesses. And so sort of the dynamic is that small businesses of tomorrow are not necessarily going to be mom and pop businesses on our you know physical stores. They're probably going to be an Amazon store or a Spotify musician or a YouTube creator, and I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure most a lot of your listeners have heard, you know, and there there are more kids in the U.S. who now want to be a YouTube star than an astronaut, which is which is crazy to think about, uh, especially if you even if you compare it to let's say a couple of years ago. So that's the sort of the overarching tailwind we see. But there are also a couple of other sort of distinct dynamics taking place that are getting us excited. So I think uh, the first one being value capture is moving away from the platforms. What used to happen is if you had a business on some of these platforms, they would be able to extract uh, a ton of tax from you. They'd be able to extract fees and you were tied to them. But nowadays what's happening is a lot of these commercial actors on top of these platforms are going omnichannel. These platforms themselves are facing a lot of competition, and they're also facing a lot of regulatory scrutiny. So what that what that means is the balance of power has now started shifting away from platforms onto these people, these commercial actors, or the creators on top of these platforms. So that's one dynamic. The other dynamic we're starting to see is that a lot of these businesses li- living on these platforms are starting to get more and more sophisticated. The Amazon seller of today is not how they were used to operate three, four years ago. They're, they now use a ton of sophisticated software tools. They are, they, they're a lot more specific about the ad campaigns they run. They've just overall gotten a lot more sophisticated. And the same thing can be said about say creators and influencers on Instagram, on YouTube, people have realized that that the social part of social media is changing to a more professional media aspect. And so that's the second part. And the last thing you're starting to see a lot of these like 
picks and shovels play com coming to coming into the scene as the first because of the first two dynamics people are realizing oh my god there are going to be real businesses that are going to be built on top of these platforms there has to be ways for us to get a get, get a chunk of that pie you'll you'll start seeing software for amazon sellers or or wagering platforms for games or roll up strategies on on Instagram and Snapchat accounts all sorts of different different ways to actually gain exposure to the underlying platform and that that aspect is getting us super excited here at Crossbeam. Can you talk about some of the investments that you all have made in that under that under that thesis? I think like Wave TV plays on this perfectly. You got a few others as well that are just crushing it. Yeah, so you made so you mentioned Wave. Uh, Wave is super interesting. They essentially buy sports-focused Instagram and Snapchat accounts, optimize them, and basically basically bring a professional aspect to it. Another example we can give you is the Amazon space that has been incredibly hot recently. And Akiko was one of the early early players in the scene. They essentially go and buy up Amazon sellers, third-party Amazon sellers, and help optimize them to run better. And then the another company we invested in, in was is Snipfeed. So Snipfeed essentially think of it like Linktree meets Shopify. So any creator can go plug and play, start uh, monetizing uh, their efforts. Th that 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 business I think is super exciting for us because obviously you have these professional creators, the, the Instagram influencers that Tyler, you and I probably follow. If I think to myself, it'd be people like musicians, men's fashion influencers, etc. But I think there's also like a long tail of creators, people who are the person who's like doing art or portrait at home or someone who's teaching people guitar over Instagram and, and live sessions and Zoom sessions. So these people are, are, are do not currently do not have enough in the way of monetization tools, analytics, collaboration tools, et cetera. There's been an explosion of, of those tools and we, we think Snippet is a special business because the, the founder, Redwan, is just has so much energy constantly iterating, uh, constantly has a relentless focus on the customer. Those are some of the, some examples of businesses we really look for. We look for businesses that have exposure to the underlying platform, but also who can find a clever wedge to actually go and extract some a unique part of the, of the economic stack there. Got you. I think that's phenomenal. And I think that I've seen rollups where people are doing like multiple arbitrage or they're taking like really old businesses, putting some tech under them, acquiring as much as they can. And then from there, effectively inserting them into those old businesses and, and expanding the multiples. But I haven't seen many people doing what you all are doing on the social influencer side. I think that's brilliant. And I think that a lot of these folks are incredible at acquiring eyes and ears and getting people to jump on purchases, but they don't necessarily have a great means of actually putting the infrastructure there needed for them right. to monetize at scale and doing that. And like, even with like your example from Mr. Beast that you talked about in one of your uh, Substack posts, it's just incredible. Kudos to you all for recognizing that. And I think a lot more VCs are going to be looking for these ways to get these outsized returns from uh, non-standard tech plays. 
Yeah, the creator economy itself has been has been extremely hot, but I think the missing piece of it is there there although there's a lot of tools that are being built, there hasn't been a lot of sophistication around the capital that a lot of these creators have access to or just easy to use plug and play tools similar to let's say what what Shopify has for people selling like physical goods. So I think there's that opportunity is massive and not only that opportunity, I think derivative plays on some of these platforms are and that that are get exposure to what these creators are building is super uh, exciting especially as the behavior behavioral change from the lockdown keeps persisting it's definitely something uh, to keep an eye on but i think I, I think we take the view that there's this behavioral change is here to stay and this movement toward the individual as a creator, the, ind- the individual being like a one person business is here to stay. So super, super excited about what's to come in the future. Yeah, I agree. I think that people are going to increasingly take their audience from one platform, bring it across the likes of discords, mighty networks, honeycombs, et cetera, community texting, and just, just continue to build things that you all are doing. So congrats on that. I wish uh, you all had one piece Howard, you talked about this micro asset LBO model stealth code that you were pushing out. They did like world to like characteristics. One day right. we, we got to dive further into that, but I know unless you want to yep. break those here, but if not, <laughs> you, you also have some interesting side projects and we'd yep. love to talk a bit more about those. For everyone listening, could you talk a bit more about the capsule and why you wanted to start it? Yeah, yeah, sure. So my sophomore year of college, I started seeing Morning Brew really blow up and just like newsletters in, in general blow up. I found myself going from zero newsletter subscribe to by the end of the, I remember the, the fall semester, my sophomore year, by the end of the semester, I was read every morning, I was reading like three or four different newsletters and almost spending like half an hour almost every morning just on the way to class, even before class, just reading newsletters. And I realized that nothing like that existed back home, back home meaning in Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, the South Asian region. And so I decided to go and test whether this would work through a Facebook group. And basically I started using MailChimp to put out, basically summarize and aggregate some of these news and put it in a newsletter uh, uh, format. I started building an email list, but I also started putting uh, these links on a Facebook group. And all of a sudden the group kind of blew up to a thousand members within the week. And I just told 20, 30 people and posted on my, uh, posted on my personal uh, profile. And that's when I started to realize, wow, there's there's some sort of real demand for a product like this. But obviously, alas, after graduation, I was working decently long hours and just kind of kind of fell by the side. And then the, there was like another interesting moment. And this was, I think, the first or second week of lockdown. I remember just being in my apartment, sitting by the window. And I like, I was just like, I, I was listening to a lot of music at that time and I shared one of the Spotify music on my story. And I looked at the number of people who viewed the story and I still remember it was 1,243 people who viewed that story. And I was like, usually my stories get 300 or 400 views. And that's when I realized, wow, screen time is climbing like more than doubling 3X, 4Xing in a really meaningful manner this would be a great time for me to see if I can actually relaunch this, this side project idea I had. 
So over time, gathered a couple of friends and started this newsletter. It's, uh, you, you can go subscribe to it at readthecapsule.com. And it, it's, it basically, it's basically, we started doing it three times a week. Now we do it two times a week because we also curate jobs on it. One big problem that that region has is, is unemployment. Uh, and not just unemployment, but also like just matchmaking, not knowing which which companies are venture backed, which companies are are actually have the ability to keep you on for a couple of years versus which company is just hiring and going to go bust in the next month or so. So doing that twice a week and over time, I think it just grew more into a platform. And the other thing I started doing was just live podcasts. So I'd listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm, I'm a big fan of just like putting something on, going for a run, entering the subway. And I, one part that frustrated me about podcasts is the inability of the audience to actually ask questions. So I would get a lot of I'd get a, a lot of these people who were essentially role models for people back home because they, they came to the West, studied here, uh, et cetera, but they never had access to them. So what I managed to do is convince them to come for half an hour to 45 minutes and on a live podcast session. So I would ask them questions just like you're asking me now, Tyler. I would also give the audience a chance to ask questions directly. So over time, I kind of realized like the mission, the capsule kind of went from being like a normal side project I was doing from fun to being a pretty, some, something that I take quite seriously in the sense that the idea, is, the idea is to really get people access to information. The education has been completely democratized. Someone sitting in Bangladesh or Nepal or Sri Lanka has almost the same material as someone sitting at Harvard, Yale, Princeton in the U.S. And they just don't really know where to look or the internet is too noisy or TikTok is feeding them this, the same content over and over again. My goal is to curate a lot of the noise, curate away a lot of the noise and bring some, bring content that is useful. So to, just to give you an example, I've, I've so far managed to bring a managing director from Barclays of Bangladesh descent, the youngest billionaire of, of, of India, Nikhil Kamat, who founded Siroda, which is like the Robin Hood of, of India, was on as well. We had someone, we had a venture investor from Pakistan come. We had an, a startup incubator, an organizer from Sri Lanka come. We had a rock star from Bangladesh come. So all sorts of different personalities. And the idea is that no matter what you want to do, you can come every Sunday to the capsule Instagram page, which is at read the capsule again, and actually take part and watch these live sessions and actually be part of the conversation. So it's been super fun, not monetizing it by, by any means, but just doing it on the side as I find time. Some, I miss some podcasts some weeks because I'm, I'm like busy with work or and, and whatnot, but I think that's, it's been a super fulfilling ride and, and the team and I often get emails from all over South Asia going, hey, the newsletters are super helpful or thanks for doing that. I always wanted to talk to this person and I was able to talk, ask him a question today. That, that it's, it's, a very, it's a very sort of fulfilling endeavor for us. Yeah, I, I feel it 100%. You're crushing it on that. And I definitely think everyone here should give it a follow. With that, man, I think a lot of the notes you don't are exact reasons that we're starting Con or started Confluence at this point. And yeah, man, I, I think that's the next wave of people doing things. I also think it's a, a very easy way not easy because it takes time, but a very credible way for people to create a side hustle. And to also like, in regards to like side hustles that bring in income or don't, and depending on when you decide to catalyze your, your monetization, a really great way for you to bring in network. I love for you to touch a bit on like why it's so important for people to have side hustles, because it seems like this thing's become one of the most fulfilling things in your life. Yeah. Yeah. So 
I, I'm worried of saying that everyone should have a side hustle or, or something like that. But I think for me personally, it's super helpful because it helped me empathize with founders, especially as, as I think of some you know, marketing um, experiments or, or growth or quote unquote growth hacks. It helped, it gives me even, although it's not the same as being on a, at a venture scale, it gives me some level of insight of, of what it's like to grow a product. And I think that's super, super helpful. In terms of what everyone should do, and I'm not sure if everyone should have a side hustle uh, themselves, but I, I do think it's valuable to have something on the side that you're passionate about or have some level of equity in or have some level of deep personal engagement. And I think it, I think it, give, it teaches you very different skills as to what, what you'd learn on, on the job. And, and I think I can only speak to finance, PE, venture capital, investment banking type of roles. I, I, just, I just think having that experience, building it will go a long way in your full-time day job as well. And yeah, and I guess the, the other thing is also just like, you, you end up learning a lot and it, it is hard work, um, but it does make me happy. And I'm not trying to say working till 2 a.m., 3 a.m. makes me happy, but I think the bigger part of it is, I think education or just the learning aspect is what kind of makes me happy because it gives me hope at the end of the day. And, and hope is like a great thought to have and you are your thoughts, right? At the end of the day. And, and if your thoughts are, are you know, around hope that often leads to happiness and that, that often leads to leads, leads you to work harder and, and drive yourself. And so I think that part is very important, the fulfillment aspect of it, as you mentioned, Tyler. Agreed, man. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. In regards to like the hustle of it, what's funny is that you start finding yourself just wanting to do it in your free time and it feeling less and less like a job. Like, yeah. Yep. It's definitely like a hassle sometimes having to continuously be reliable in regards to the content put out. But once you get in the flow of it, it's not too bad. And uh, yep. yeah, I, I totally agree with this. Sometimes those 2 a.m. mornings, they just, they end up feeling good. I think yeah. um, we should have play talk a bit about that and then uh, lead us a bit into the quick fire questions. I, as I always say around this time, I miss Clay's voice. Yeah, you want me to speak on working late nights or just not feeling like work, like reaching that point? Yeah. The passion, all that stuff. What's what you got? Or yeah, what, what you I got mean, building confidence, et cetera. I like totally related on everything you just said, Saka. I feel like with us, like there's no clear financial incentive for us to start this. And it's definitely eaten up a lot of our free time over the past nine months or so but we've continued to do it because we genuinely enjoy the work and working together on it so it really doesn't feel like work i feel like we're just expanding opportunities with it and i feel like this side hustle has brought us a lot of optionality now and yeah. figuring out different ways we can go with it like now it's becoming a little bit more clear what the long-term goals of this thing are for us as I'm sure like you're having the same experience building out the capsule. Yeah. So yeah, I, I totally relate with all of that. Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on its head. Like I, I think a large part of it that I didn't touch earlier is the people you work with. Like I work with, I, I think I work with some of, some of the best people that I've ever come across on, on, on my side project. There's some of their, some of these, some, I had one, one of, one of the colleagues I have is a sophomore at Waterloo. And every time I speak to him, I learn so much. It's crazy. I think, and I think one of the beauties of, of being able to work with people slightly younger or still students is they have so much free time and they're, they're always listening to podcasts and always reading stuff. And, and just having interesting conversations with them at the end of the day, and just going back to the thoughts aspect. It's just, you're just always having interesting thoughts and it's super meaningful and fulfilling. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like starting this thing 
in July of last year, like we've opened so many doors and met so many new people from it. Like we use the podcast a to showcase you all and the work that you do, but like supplementary to that, we just do it to learn ourselves. Like I just learned a ton listening about your story, the thesis of Crossbeam, what you guys focus on. That's all learning opportunity for both of us. Again, I think it just creates a lot of optionality and upside. And I think all that just resonated a lot with me. So with that, I can jump in for these last five questions we have. So we asked these at the end of the episode, all these are meant to be answered in two sentences or less. We joke that we have a pretty bad hit rate on that, but usually (laughs) a little bit longer, but we try to give the guide rail there. So first one we have is what is a recommendation you hear regularly that you think is bad advice? Yeah. I think I'll caveat by saying I don't like I, I try to I'll take a little bit of an optimist optimistic view here. I don't think there are bad advice per se. I think there's there's instead there's skewed incentives, there's misinformation, and there's lack of context. And if I had to name an example, in, in the world of investing, you hear all sorts of absolutes, like you should always invest in index funds, right? No, what if I'm a student trying to learn more about the markets or, or I guess less fringe case of another less of a fringe case would be what if I'm based in, you know, frontier markets, let's say in Bangladesh, right? The outperformance of the top five stocks or top three stocks, or even the, or even let's say 10 is tremendous as to, let's say the top 30, the, the top tar- 30 stocks that are in the index. So I think an active, active management strategy there, or just putting your money out to a high fee a mutual fund o- over time would probably make a ton of sense. None of this is investing advice. <laughs> I, ho- I hope that it's not construed that way, but, but yeah, I think that's like a, that's like a, a bad advice. I would say like just speaking in absolutes. Totally. I think that's really good advice. I haven't heard that one yet, but that's thoughtful. All right, next one. In the last year, what new belief, behavior, habit has most improved your life? Yeah, there, there's been many. In lockdown, you got a ton of time to yourself and your thoughts. But I think one, one, one to me that's stuck is my, my baba, my dad, you always used to say, you're the average of the five people around you. And I recently read somewhere that you're not the average of the five people around you, you're, av- you're the average of your top. And the beauty of the internet and post-lockdown technology and, and all, you know, the clubhouse wave and all that, has kind of meant that you don't need to have those people around you it's easier and easier to surround yourself with thought that, that are informative, that are educational, that are inspiring, that push you to work harder, that give you new ideas. This podcast itself is a prime example. So I think that's, that's made, had a really big impact on me. I don't necessarily think that I am physically handcuffed in any manner. I can still achieve a lot of those positive benefits of having really smart people around me by diving into things like books, podcasts, clubhouse etc. Or even Twitter threads, really. That's a real good one that I recently discovered. Yeah, that's really good advice. I've actually never heard that phrase. Um, going to start using it more because yeah, everyone just tells you like your friends very wisely, the ones you spend the most time with, they're who, who eventually adopt the personality traits. But I do think a lot of your personal development is internal. I just haven't heard a phrase like that. That's really smart. So switching gears more to your day-to-day role, what, aside from having to say no all the time, what is the worst part about venture? Ooh, I think, yeah, the no all the time is probably, is probably the one that's up there. But I think the other one is just 
it's so easy to be on an always on culture. And I think in, I guess in, in this business more so anywhere else, you have to live and breathe it and get energy from the small wins, mm -hmm. but, and you're constantly trying to make something happen. You're constantly trying to get access to deals, to ideas, to theses. But I think, I think anything over a few months of coverage investment banking will make you appreciate work-life balance and sleep. So I think that, that it's very easy to get carried away and, and just stay there for hours and hours on end and not go for a walk or something. Yeah. Uh, Couldn't agree more. Mm -hmm. Couldn't agree more. I think it's been spot on. Second VC related question, best piece of advice for junior VCs or those aspiring to break into venture? I think credit to my partner Ali here. He has this philosophy that he's ingrained into ingrained into me and, and the rest of the team is that you have to think about founders and entrepreneurs as customers and treat them as such. And we, we, thinking very deeply about it and being very cognizant of it, we are in it to give them a great customer experience from that first email they send all the way into the future and just making sure, how would you actually treat your customer? You reply to them, you reply to the emails very quickly, you work extra hard for them. You, you go out of your way for them. I think having that mindset and, and that culture goes a really long way in terms of not only just winning deals, but also to just have an enjoyable experience and relationship with founders. Totally. I feel like VC is a mix of an investment role, sales role, but like more than anything, I think it's become a support role. You're supposed to always be top of mind for founders, be quick to respond which like becomes really challenging when your portfolio grows. But yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's spot on again. All right, last question here. Who's a mentor that you want to give credit to? There's so many, man. I, I find it really hard to name one or two, but I'll name two people who I almost always go to whenever I need something. One, one, is, one is this, one is my friend. They're actually both funny enough, Cornell MBAs. One of them is Abdullah Al-Reswan. He, he's an amazing story. You guys should totally check him out on Twitter. It's at Borrowed Ideas. He came from rural Bangladesh, got a scholarship to come to the capital city in Dhaka, then got a then figured out how to come to Cornell. And now he rules the world of public market investing with his own paid research service. It's just such an inspiring story. I, I love just talking to him and learning so much from him. Every time I, every time like I have a philosophical question or a business analysis question, he's my go-to. And the other person is Alison Latham, who's been like a very close friend and mentor to me. Again, I went, went to Cornell and met her through that and just these people, it's, it's just so incredible how selfless they are. And you ask them to do something in hindsight that are pretty annoying or big favors and they don't think twice and they just get to it and they try and help you the, the, the way they can. And I think it's just inspiring and just seeing them. I, I, I learn what it takes to be not only a good professional or a good venture investor, et cetera, but also what it means to be a good person at the end of the day and a good friend, because I think having that makes uh, everything else a lot easier. You begin have, being in the right frame of mind and the right mindset to actually go out and execute on some of the more professional stuff. Love it. That's awesome. So I think that's all from me. The, so we're trying to do a, the, a better job at the end of these episodes to allow guests to ask us some questions. So it's like somewhat even in terms of us asking. I know we didn't even prep you with this, but do you have any last minute questions that you want to ask Tyler or myself? Yeah, I, I, I think I'll ask you two. One, one is a bit technical and the, and the other is more around, more around just more EQ based. 
the I guess the technical on the technical side, what are some general like frameworks or like quantitative analysis that you run on whenever you see a business that you're starting to dig deeper into? That's one. And number two, I think what are some common threads uh, that you see among? I think by now you've invested what uh, you're, you interviewed over what twenty plus venture investors. What are some sort of common threads that you see among all these young successful people who are you know, manage to manage to carve out their own own space in the world of venture. Yeah. Clay, you want me to go first on this one? Or how you feel? Yeah, you want to split these up? You wanna take first, I can take second, or how do you want to do this? Yeah, I'm I'm happy to. It's really interesting because Clay and I, in regards to the first question around qual- quantitative measures we look at when we first go into companies, like we just launched our Confluence VC access fund to give access to best in class deal flow to everyone in the Confluence community and then source that deal flow through the Confluence community, really just flip the economic dilemma on its head. But in doing that, we actually have to do a lot of work ourselves to make sure that we're bringing everyone the best deals. We see everything, but like, how do you make sure that you're picking the right one. That's like the classic venture dilemma. That's the problem with always having to say no. Like that's the origin, right? I think the first thing that I think about just like basic math is what kind of outcomes am I shooting for from a portfolio theory perspective? Like just basic venture math states that like the vast majority of your portfolio is going to fail or underperform. And that being said, you have to then shoot for skyrocket game changers. So for me, the first thing that I think about when I see something is like, what is what are the odds of this thing not becoming like a billion dollar company, but like a multi-billion dollar company. And I always just back into it. It's okay, like what type of revenue does this company have? What type of multiples does it have? If it's a subscription business, then I can assume somewhere between eight and in the crazy market, 20 something X multiple. But I'm always gonna go like somewhere around like 10 to 12. And what kind of ARR would I need to back into? And then I can back and say, what type of average contract value does this company have? And what are the odds of them getting that volume? How many of those actually exist? How many of those are being cannibalized by competitors? And once I start to think about that and think about sales cycles and think about positioning, then I can start to quantitatively decide, is this something that's worth me spending my time on? I think about business model and I think about approach and go to the market and things like that. But nowadays, like my first thought is just, can this thing be a game changer? And then on the quantitative side of that equation is just like, when you look at the biggest innovations or biggest companies that have come, they've actually, it's something that me and Clay talk about a lot. They've actually almost all been something that fundamentally changes the world or fundamentally changes something that already is like a really big deal in the world. So like you think about an Uber, you think about an Airbnb. Like they fundamentally change how those things are. You think about large chip companies, large computing companies. You think about pretty much any company that's call it over 50 billion or a hundred billion dollar market cap. It fundamentally changed something or became a so pivotal in a large chunk of society that it couldn't be, it couldn't be misplaced. And when I look at investments nowadays, we think about that frequently, which is for instance, while we did Flutterwave is effectively like the next stripe of Africa. And that was our first deal that we did for the community about a week ago. We actually closed it on Friday. If that company works, then an entire continent ends up having payment infrastructure. And that's something that can fundamentally change things. That's something that can validate a billion dollar, $20 billion, maybe even hundred billion dollar company. And that's just how we look at it from now on. So if it's not that, the only way that I can accept something is if there's like some type of information, information 
arbitrage opportunity that we have, where we can clearly see this thing returning, call it five to 10 plus our money with upside for 10 to 20 X our money in a very short time period. And if you don't do that and your portfolio is not constructed of those things, I think that you'll probably end up seeing a mediocre uh, portfolio unless you get lucky. And that's typically not repeatable over two to four funds. So that's kind of my answer there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and then I'll try to be shorter, but it, in terms of characteristics of people on the pod, I had to look through our, our roster of names just to get a refresher. But I think characteristics of the people that we brought on, just the one that comes first to mind, just being generally curious about everything they're working on. They ask really thoughtful questions. They come prepared and they already have a portfolio of work that makes it pretty easy for us to draft up questions for them, which is that they're not only curious about the world, but have taken the time to actually draft out their thoughts and try to synthesize them through writing or some other form um, or medium. So I think that's one, like all these people are extremely personable have great soft skills and clearly just been in plenty of conversations like this that kind of helped them refine those skills. I don't know. I think those are like very general characteristics and statements around people. But if I had to narrow it down, like if there was two things that everybody that we've had on shares, like I think those are two of them. Yeah, th those are great. Guys, I, I don't know if you have a hard stop at four, but I actually had another uh, very a question that I'm super curious about myself and would love to ask you, but I don't know if you, if you guys have to go. Uh, no, I've got time. I'm happy to run it up. Man. Sure. Uh, like sometimes we go over, sometimes we go under. Audience, sorry for taking up too much of your time. Check in with us next week. Yeah, no, I think the, the sort of last question I have for you is the art of asking good questions. And this is something I think about a lot. Good questions are supposed to be concise, clear, very specific. I'm very curious as to how you guys actually think about having good, thoughtful questions. And it's such an important, it's a, such an important skill that I didn't really appreciate until after coming to venture when you're com constantly asking questions during pitches or being, getting asked questions too. So want, want to hear about how you think about asking good questions and, uh, and actually learning through asking questions. I think, I think the best questions are clear enough to get out or communicate the gap of knowledge that you're looking to fill, but they don't lead people towards particular answers. I think that a lot of people ask questions that are effectively rhetorical questions because they have something that they're looking for. When the truth is, if you, got, if you ask a question and guide someone to the answer, you're informing biases of your own. And another piece that is a truth that most people don't want to swallow is that if you're in conversation with the right people, or really anyone for that matter, because you never know who someone is or what they might have in mind, uh, if you guide them, you might be missing out on an opportunity for them to give you an answer that you never could have imagined and might just shift your thoughts on a given topic or even maybe change your life. That's awesome. Clay, do you have anything? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking on a little. I know I'm a huge fan of Tim Ferriss. He has, I've read like all of his books and he really believes that your path to becoming world-class at anything is just asking good questions. I think I'm still trying to get a lot better at it myself, but I think asking good questions just takes a lot of research and figuring out 
A, the right questions to ask, and then B, just like filtering down your wording with them so that you're not asking really lengthy questions that could confuse the person on the other end of them. So I'm trying to do a better job of that. But I think to shorten my answer, I think asking good questions just takes a bunch of research. I don't know if there's a way around that fact of life. I learned so much from that, from those questions. Maybe I should come on here and interview you two one day. But thanks for having me, guys. This was a lot of fun. Of course, brother. Thank you for joining us. And we're looking forward to doing much more uh, interesting stuff with you. I'm definitely tracking yep. your, your thesis and execution style on CrossBeam. Yep, yep. I will keep you posted. And, and hopefully we'll be able to touch base away from the podcast stuff, but also just casually just to hang out and, and chat. So let me know whenever you guys are free. Let's do it. All right. Good. Thanks, Clay. Thanks, Tyler. I'll talk to you guys soon then. Peace out, bye, man. Later. Bye. Huge thanks again to Sokka for coming on this week, and we hope that each of you are able to pick up something valuable from this talk. If you're looking to link up with Sokka, we've linked his social info in the description below, and we've also included his contact info within the Confluence directory. For next steps, if you're an investor and have not already signed up to join, we encourage you to check out our website at www.confluence.vc to submit your info to become a member. If you have any feedback for us, please feel free to reach out directly either to Tyler at Tyler at GPV.com or myself at Clay at Hope to hear from you all soon.